So, what will be the discussion this morning? What are your questions? What brings you here? Um, I heard some of your lectures. They were quite nice. Um, I thought it would be nice to get the opportunity to come in here and see you. And also, I'm, I'm looking for... It's nice to experience different moves, different kind of moves, different devotees, and expand the attitudes. Yeah, that's a good attitude. There are differences among devotees and different um, approaches to service. And ultimately, they beautify the tradition. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's worldview or metaphysic as uh, described by Sanatana Goswami in Brihad Bhagavatamrita in very brief but in, in great detail and more specifically by Jiva Goswami in his Satsandarbha who is uh, Achintya Beda Beda. So, Bed and Abed means a difference and non-difference. And the two don't work that well together. Therefore, Achintya, Achintya Beda Beda. Although there's another Sampradaya called Beda Bed of the Nimbarkas, which is also a Vaishnava Sampradaya. They say the Absolute is sometimes one and sometimes different. We say the one and different at the same time. So, Achintya, qualifying. But with regard to Bed and Bed, then difference and the non-difference in one sense, the non-difference is the philosophy, the tattva, the siddhanta, the conclusions, and so forth. Whereas the difference is that which arises from applying oneself in relation to the siddhanta. And so that may manifest as differences with regard to outreach and, and um, service in general and in the highest sense. Service culminates in a relationship with Bhagavan, and we know there are different relationships that constitute the essence of the Brajalok, the Braj place and the Braj people. Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurdya. Mahaprabhu has said these four bhavs that make up the Braj, they, Braj Bhakti, he's come to distribute them. So these are differences. So, for example, with regard to myself, who you came to hear from, then I have some non difference from my God brothers and God sisters, all of us be, being initiated by the same Guru. And then I have a difference in that I have a Siksha Guru and a, and a person of and that is a difference that I don't share with all of my God brothers. Therefore, it's a, dif- it's a difference. But is the difference a fault or is it an ornament? As we're describing, if the philosophy is one, then the difference that is not outside of the philosophy will be an ornament that beautifies the, uh, the the teaching that it has such lends itself to such varied expression 
in all of the Braj, all of the different sentiments are necessary for the primary sentiment of romantic love between Radha and Krishna to take place without the different supporting roles and so forth. What will the principal actor, actress, how will they perform their drama? So they're all essential. And, uh, and so, anyway, the differences in this example with regard to myself, are they within the Siddhanta philosophy or are they outside of that? Are they differences that arise from Anartha? Or are they differences that arise from Rasa? Or somewhere in between with regard to, in this case, Siksha, having a, having a Siksha guru and so forth. So we, we know that from Chaitanya Charitamrita that, that we are initiated in a Gaudiya Sampradaya into a, a plurality of gurus. The text begins with the statement, Vande Gurun, and Gurun is, of course, in the plural. So Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says, I offer my respects to my gurus. So there's a place for that, philosophically speaking, within the Siddhanta. He goes on in the text when he explains that first line, Vande Gurun, to mention these two the Diksha Guru and the Siksha Guru, both different manifestations for different purposes of the same absolute truth. We say that Diksha is one because why? You can have one Diksha Guru but many Siksha Gurus because the Diksha Guru's function is to give the mantra and the mantras. doesn't have to be given twice if the Guru is qualified to give it. But the Siksha then that siksha is all to support the diksha and from so many different angles. Sometimes people have the idea that the siksha guru should not differ in any way from the diksha guru. What that means, however, is the siksha guru should be cultivating the same mantra that the diksha guru has given to you in the same sampradaya in other words, you can't get the diksha from the Gaudiya Sampradaya and have a, an Advaitin as your Siksha Guru. That's what it means. Or even a Ramanuja or a, or a Madhva. It means that we have a Gaudiya as a Siksha Guru. That is the meaning. Because his or her service to the Sisha, to the disciple, will be to help them understand the implications of what's been given to them. It may seem like a small thing, a few words and a short ceremony and so forth, but it's a big thing, actually. And so much can be said about that. So much siksha from so many different angles. So there may be more than one siksha guru. The siksha guru can be uh, a plurality. And there will be a plurality of gurus in that there will be the diksha guru and in some instances the siksha guru as well. And they're one, of course, because they are, have the same source, they're teaching the same thing, and so on and so forth. So it's clear from Chaitanya Charitamrita that these two manifestations of Guru, at least there may be other Gurus, the Sannyas Guru, the Raghamar Guru, the Vartma Pradaksha Guru, the Kula Guru. India is a land of Gurus, right? Everybody's a Guru. The music teacher's a Guru, the mother and the father's a Guru, and the elder brother's a Guru, and so on and so forth. Mahaprabhu was, was of the opinion, Whoever knows Krishna in truth, 
that person is my guru, regardless of where he or she may come from, what section of society, and so forth. He said this in relation to Ramananda Roy, who accepted as his, his ragmarg guru. Of course, then someone will ask, which is the most important? Pujapachita Maharaj once was asked the question, he gave a nice answer, which I consider an example of, sh- of Shastra Yukti. Shastra Yukti means scriptural logic or logic that seeks to support the conclusions of the scripture. There's another term, Shastra Nipuna, also. Shastra Nipuna, which means that like an expert on knowing the meaning of the Shastra. This is the qualification, who has this qualification is best equipped for treading the path, whose faith is well-tempered and strengthened by understanding of the essence of scriptures, is most eligible to tread the path. Uttam Adhikari Shastra Nipun. This is described in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and echoed, of course, in Chaitanya Charitamrita in the Bengali of Vishnas Kaviraj Goswami. So, what does it mean, Shastra Nipun? Chidamarsha was once referred to by this term, this title, by his Guru Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, Shastra Nipun Sridhar Maharaj, when he cited something. So it doesn't mean simply knowing the scripture, so many verses, and so being able to repeat them, but to be able to say things that just cut through the formalities and bring us to an essential understanding, the kind of a spiritual or common sense that's uncommon. Prabhupada used to say Krishna consciousness is just common sense, but that's very uncommon. So when we speak it, it will be something like, like what? Like it was said that whoever can untie the Gordian knot will conquer India. You know the story, right? And so, so many great warriors came and tried to untie that knot, and they could not. And Alexander came and said, I can do it as a young man. And he cut it with his sword, and everybody said, oh, I could have done that. I mean, you know, and he became the conqueror of India. Columbus, it was said that whoever can stand an egg on its end can cross the ocean, meaning no one can cross the ocean. You can't stand an egg on its end because it will just roll over. And Columbus said, I can do that. And he took the egg and he went like that, made a little dent in it, and then he stood it up. And everybody said, oh, you're... I could have done that. Anybody could have done that, but who thought of it? How many people have seen an apple? And these days, you don't live in... Most people don't live in the vicinity, in the country where things grow, but it used to be different. In those days, how many people saw an apple fall from a tree? But Newton saw it, and he saw something else, right? So that kind of common sense. Shudramarsh, so how did he reply? What is the most important guru? He said, the one that helps you the most. This is the essential idea. And of course, there's all Krishna helping us through these different varied agents. So it may be that the Siksha Guru becomes more important than the Diksha Guru in someone's life. It may be the opposite. They may be equal. There may be any number of varieties. And these varieties are beautiful. They are to be celebrated. Where and in relation to whom 
one finds the greatest inspiration to pursue their spiritual life, that should be honored, that should be celebrated. That is, faith is our deity, and not our, our doormat, to wipe our feet upon, to trample upon. It's to be celebrated. And there will be difference in this regard. You know, you go to the marketplace and there are so many shoe stores on one block or so many furniture stores in one location and so forth. Different minds, and the Vaishya knows that. Many minds in the marketplace. So if people are buying furniture of one kind, there will be minds for another kind and so forth. And so businesses are created. When I was a kid, they had these commercials on the TV for Hertz Rent-A-Car. And they had this guy, there would be a car driving along the road with no driver. And then there would be, this guy comes out of the sky and And the saying was, let Hertz put you in the driver's seat today. And then, and then the driver would come in. And it was, I think, the original Rent-A-Car, you know, car rental company. And then there was another company that, called Avis, which became the second. And I noticed that, I thought, oh, that, that's how it works. One person has a good idea, and another person takes the same idea, does it a little bit differently, and they'll, they'll also have credible, credible business at times. So many minds in the marketplace, and so many different agents, and, and all, but they must be representing properly the Siddhanta. Sometimes people think, well, with Trip Ramarsh, for example, he has a some other guru from Prabhupada, therefore he's not, you know, bona fide. This is, means to not, a, a, one's own position is to be questioned and how well they have understood the Siddhanta. That's the page, the book that we have to be in for the same Siddhanta, and then there are different pages, different chapters. And of course, in that great book, we will have to write our own page at one point as well. We are not only to read, but to add to the book our page. It may be a small page, but I love Krishna in this way. <laughs> Signed. <laughs> and your name there, so-and-so, Das and Dasi. You have to make your contribution in that way. And that will be written in indelible ink uh, in the book of life. It means to say also with regard to the books that we were discussing, books, well, we're going to at some point here, Srimad Bhagavatam, that these books are all like the index or the table of contents. It's not everything is said there. What will go on in the Paravyom? What is the nature of that place? No, it is beyond speech, beyond thought. So the books are only there to help us to go beyond thought so that we can actually think and or actually know and beyond words. It doesn't mean there's nothing to be said. It means there's not enough that we can say. Words cannot do justice. It doesn't mean we'll stop talking. No. So, so much room for difference. So on the one side, the, the abed, the non-difference, is the philosophy. And then abed is a different application of that, that demonstrate its depth, its beauty, its variety, variety is as they say, the spice of, of life. So this is very central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that accommodation of variety. In fact, we go after it, we embrace it. We, we uh, Rather than try to put it out, stamp it out, as, as some may think, 
in an effort to control and so forth. It's out of control. That is the nature of reality. It's, it has its own agenda. And as it shows itself, then we must move accordingly. If Krishna says, I'm over here, and we go there, make a great effort. And then right when we arrive there, he says, now I'm over here. We cannot say, look, you told me to go. And I went over here. I, no, we just go over there. And as Ujbal Nilmani of Rupa Goswami says, that the love moves in a crooked way, like a snake. So, such is the nature of love. She loves me, she loves me not. As we discussed last night, so we should be a little open for that. So the fact that you're all open for that, is, is a, it's, a, it's a good good quality. It's, it shows that you've understood something important about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, very a foundational kind of a stone is in place in the house of the, the bhakti that you're erecting under good, good guidance. And just see how if that was in place, in more places, how much bigger of a place <laughs> or a space we would, we would have. One that was, for example, in the words that uh, one astrologer used to describe my Guru Maharaj, build a house in which the whole world can live. There are going to have to be a lot of differences there, a lot of variety, <laughs> if everyone's going to be in that house. And it can be accommodated, as I say, if it's all the same Siddhanta, just like notes, it's a poor idea of unity from a musical perspective if it's only one note, right? I don't even know if we would call it unity, just a drone of one note. But if there are many notes and the more notes, but all playing in the same, whatever, harmony, then it becomes more profound. There's so many piece orchestra, right? All working together, so many different notes. So we should have some openness to this, but we should not be, it should not be blind. We should know what is the Siddhanta. This is a really kind of a basic point that Siksha Guru, Diksha Guru, Vande Guru, a plurality of Gurus is what we are in, involved in. If we have one Guru, we will definitely have more than one Guru because we will have the whole Guru Parampara. If in the name of not having one Guru, only one Guru, we, we don't, we pick and choose and don't, don't have one, then we end up with, with none, really. But if we actually take shelter of a Guru, then we become, have access to the plurality of Gurus, so much help, guidance, and so forth. So that's a very important point. It seemed kind of simple, and most of us here seem to understand it. So, a bit rudimentary, but nonetheless one that's not very well understood. And in the name of chastity to guru, and yeah, so we have to be chaste to the teaching. And the guru has an appearance and a, and a life also, and an inner life, and an external expression and internal expression. It's a huge topic, <laughs> very elusive. So with that in mind, we should have some openness to it that I might not have understood at all. So it's nice that you came. I appreciate it a lot. 
that those talks, that siksha, just my, my heart is there. So whatever I have, I'm sharing that. And, and I'm a devotee, not of great stature, but I find it all interesting. So I find it edifying when I speak also. I learn things. And I attribute that to the audience, this receptivity and interest which brings things down that might not have come otherwise. So I find it to be a, a learning experience. And because I'm nourished from it, I think, well, I'm a devotee. <laughs> Other devotees may be nourished by this as well. It's not mine. Pujapat Sridharmarsh was once asked about his books, most of which were compilations, transcriptions of his recorded speeches in impromptu, kind of like this, a few people sitting on his veranda, a couple of questions and so forth. He lent himself to us for about two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening for a number of years after the passing of Prabhupada. Those who came to him, and he was very old, but he came out to answer questions and give guidance and so forth. And so, of course, those talks were recorded at one point, and he, they were. Someone wanted to make them into a book, and he blessed that and so forth, but then it was asked about the publishing of his books and the rights to that, the rights to the publishing. And he said, my books are the property of the Vaishnavas. So that was the end of that. Is there anybody, they belong to them, they're not mine, they belong to the Vaishnavas. They have come, the implication is, and drawn this out from me. He told us, so many things are coming out now due to the earnestness of Swami Maharaj Prabhupada's disciples coming with the kind of earnestness that they have, that he has awakened in them the eagerness to know and to participate in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that type of enthusiasm so that he was able to generate, sent to my door. And so, so many things are coming now that I had not given before. So who does it, again, who does it belong to then? has to be shared with everyone it belongs to, anyone interested in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is the real spirit of it which lies beyond law. Law is really a breakdown of love, and it can be assembled to foster love and be useful to a point. If you and I live in the same room, and at some point we realize that we have some differences that irritate one another. You like to stay up late and I like to go to bed early. I like to get up early and you like to sleep late. In order to salvage the situation, we make agree upon certain rules and write them down. So, we're living together under rule. There's some love in that because I'm willing to give in a little bit and you're willing to give in a little bit. It's a calculated kind of a rule-oriented love that really falls short of the full sense of love, where my heart becomes yours, your heart becomes mine. There's no need to write anything down. As soon as I understand that you want something, that becomes my desire. As soon as I, you understand I want something, that becomes your desire. No need to write anything down. This is the idea of Srimad Bhagavatam. It's a book, but it's Nirgrantha. It's not a book. Sukadev was said to be 
निग्रंथ अपि उरुक्रमा आत्मरामस चमुनायो निग्रंथ अपि निग्रंथ मीन्स ग्रंथ मीन्स नाथ एंड ग्रंथ मीन्स बुक निग्रंथ सो ही वाज बियोंड द नाथ of material existence he was not tied to material life he was celibate and walking naked and oblivious to external conditions formal considerations and so forth he didn't undergo any sung scars or, or anything like that from his birth so the question was asked in bhagavatam then why did he being near grantha which means beyond the, the knot but grantha means book also so why did he take up the study of shrimad bhagavatam which is a book so the answer is in a sense because it's it's really it's not a book it's it's come some kind of scribbling that's all there's no some kind of scribbling out of love it's a love note something like that and not everybody will understand it it's a, some kind of coded language a note written with a sense of urgency and intoxication and so forth before it said nastapraeshu about the shunitya bhagavata seva you have to study it very closely and you have to hear it from someone who's a bhagavata themselves a lover it's the final work of the as after everything else was written an afterthought samadhi nanusmara tadvicheshtitam he sat in samadhi it is called samadhi basha this is what i mean do you understand samadhi basha means what language is this book in is it in sanskrit no it's samadhi basha it's the speech coming out of the trance of vyas and where is that samadhi that is beyond speech as i said that truth is beyond word beyond thought from beyond thought from beyond speech he comes back to the world of speech and thought to try to think about and speak about that which transcends both thought and speech what will he write he will scribble something there hmm or beyond book So love is beyond the book and it's not a calculated thing. We may have some type of calculated love where we make rules in order to make it work and so forth. Vaidhi bhakti is something like that that has its place. But the fulfillment of the rule is love. Therefore Prabhupada used to say that his society you know who Prabhupada is? Okay. <laughs> should be governed by love and trust these two principles that's all love and trust one time in my own story of my own life i was called before the governing body commission sounds ominous of uh, of this gone thank you for interrogation i guess and it was in 1975 and so i i was asked who is your gbc because i had been in los angeles in prabhat's new dwarka and i was sent to australia 1973 the end of 1973 to teach there 
and then Prabhupada invited me from there to come to India for the first Mayapur festival. And so when I went to Australia, while I was there, the person who was the GBC in Los Angeles left the mission. Nice man and all. I heard about it and thought, oh, that's terrible and so forth. And he was an inspiration at one point. And so anyway, on I went to Mayapur and Prabhupada called me to his room and he said, so all year you go and preach and then come and spend one month with me every year in Mayapur and Vrindavan. And so I was kind of like under Prabhupada's you know, guidance. He had given me the, these direct orders. and I didn't think about it or calculate it other than, well, so how will I do that and preach and what will I do or like... Where will I go? And I talked with another devotee and we made a plan and so forth. And I formed a, a group for distributing books and, and so forth. So I was doing that for a year and inspiring different devotees. And we would live in this little bag, like a shoulder bag that we put our belongings in. And we would go to the next temple and empty them out and fill it with books and then sell the books. And that was all we owned. And every penny we would send to the, to the book fund. We didn't think about it, or, and we just, I, I mean, I thought about it, I thought it was the best thing to do, so that's what we did. So we did that for a year, and it was after that year when we returned to Mayapur, as Prabhupada had told me to do, that the GBC called me in and asked me the question, who is your GBC? And I said, I thought, wow, I didn't think about that, who is my GBC? And then I could see that they had a bit of a, they wanted to control, I was raising a lot of money, I, you know, through the sales of the books, and they wanted to control that. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't really out of control. We were living out of a little bag and we weren't spending anything on our on ourselves. One time there was two devotees. In the beginning there were two or three devotees who had, who had joined me. It was a really touching scene actually. The idea of my party was that they would come from different temples and they would spend a month with me and then I would send them back to their temple whatever I knew about preaching, and they would imbibe and be able to share that with others. And so the first three that came spent a month with me, and we were so absorbed. All we would do is read the books, and then we would go and sell them. And when there was no time for selling, we would be reading them, selling them, reading them. That's all we did. And so when it came time for them to go back, I said, okay, well, you know, you've been here a month, it's time to go back. Then they, they came to me and they said that, I wasn't a sannyasi at the time. I was a brahmachari like them. They said, well, we were thinking that maybe your party needed a couple of permanent members who would you know, be part of your staff. Then others would come and they would return. They would come and return. <laughs> so we developed a bond, you know, affection for one another. So I was touched by that, touched by that. And then they went and they they bought the deities at the with the temple we were at. I knew um, they took some one man I had designated. I said, okay, well we'll we'll try that. You know, I designated him as the treasurer, so he collected the account of the money that we collected and sent the sent it off to the BBT and so forth. So then he was telling me the report, and they had spent money to buy the deity at the temple a new silver plate which was a nice thing. But but I said, you know, our mission is to send the money to the BBT and others can serve the, the deity in that way. You shouldn't have done that. 
and then they pulled out the old plate of Kishore Kishori, and they gave it to me. <laughs> they, they bought the <laughs> they bought the new plate for the deity, but they did it with the mind to serve a devotee who had become dear to them in a way that they thought. So I was very embarrassed by those kind of affectionate dealings. Of course, I accepted their offering. In this way, we endeared ourselves to one another. So anyway, there was a few of us, and, and we weren't wasting any money. That was a, that was what I considered. That my point is, you were misspending money, <laughs> spending it for Krishna in this way rather than for Krishna in that way. There was no question of spending it selfishly for any purposes other than Krishna consciousness. So anyway, they called me in, and they said, "Who is your GBC?" And I said. I hadn't thought about it, so I said, I said, I don't know. But I realized, well, one of these people here want to be my GPC, and they're competing a little bit with one another, who will control what I do and determine where that money is spent and so forth. I wasn't against the idea or anything, but I, I replied to them. I said, well, so-and-so is my GPC, but he, he blooped, as they used to say, which was just telling the truth, and <laughs> they were pretty embarrassed. By that, and they said, "Well, anyway, you need to have a GPC." And I said, "Okay, well, that's fine." You know, and then they, then they dismissed me. And then they would they would go to Prabhupada. That's how it used to be. They'd go to Prabhupada and they'd read off the resolutions, and Prabhupada would say, "Yes, that's good. No, why are you doing that?" You know, and he would uh, edit the resolutions. So then they came to my name and they said, "And Tripurari Das." And Prabhupada said, "What has he done?" And his eyes became big as you know, you've seen pictures of him like that. What has he done? And they said, well, Prophet, he doesn't have a GBC. And so Prophet said, he does not need a GBC. He is selling my books. And then three of them who were really nice, they came to me afterwards and they told me that. So that's how I know the story. Because I wasn't there personally, they told me. And the, the purport, of course, is that, you know, the management and rules and so forth are meant for, a pur- they have a purpose to inspire people. And... If the people are inspired, then these are the real rules that we want to be governed by, by love and trust. Wherever there's a breakdown in love and trust, they have to make so many other rules and so many, it becomes a big corporation and so forth. It may sound impractical to you because big organizations have so many things they need to think about, but I don't know if it is impractical. I think that, that, uh, that, that if the organization is truly run by love and trust, one extent, then, to a large extent, it won't even be that much of an organization, but then it won't be burdened by the necessity of so many other rules and regulations. It will be a sangha that works naturally, happily, that, that without having to write it down. You have to do like this, you can't do like that, and so forth. So this is the overriding kind of idea that Prabhupada had for his society, that it would be governed by love and trust. Love has a kind of knowing that's inherent within it. It's pregnant with with knowledge. And that's an essential kind of knowing. That when you love and you know what to do, and there's no extra burden of knowledge that you're carrying. We acquire knowledge often to enhance our position in the world. Something like that. <laughs> and make that knowledge part of our agenda. But the knowledge of bhakti, the knowledge that bhakti constitutes, it has an agenda of its own, and, and we are on that agenda. 
And when we join that agenda, then that knowledge becomes our knowledge, and it's an essential kind of knowing, not any calculative knowing. Therefore, it's called our ideal Gyanshunya Bhakti, brain-dead bhakti. You make the brain dead, but the heart is still going. And the example is the Brajapasis. They're brain dead. They are just cow people. No education. As the, they're depicted like that, aren't they? Taking care of cows, cleaning up after them, making yogurt, butter. It takes some brain. That's true. A little brain. But it really takes more heart to make burfi than it does the brain. You have to stand there for long hours and boil the milk and so forth. And milking takes more heart than it takes it takes brain. Gyan shunya bhakti. So bhakti unencumbered by gyan, by the need to know and control and without any calculation. In Vaikuntha the love is calculated. What's the calculation? The calculation is there's God and there's me. God is great, I'm small. I should pay my respects to him. This is the calculation. I worship God because God is great and I'm small. Because he should be worshipped. That's why. He's God. He has four arms. Of course, the inhabitants may have four arms as well, but at any rate, this is the calculation. Out of duty, it should be done. And that is high and noble, isn't it? Because it should be done, even if in this world it translates out into something that may make me unpopular or uncomfortable. It should be done. Mariada, Ram, so righteous, right? In his adherence to Dharma, that it was supernatural. This is called Mariada. It means Vaidhi, same thing. But beyond that, then, the full face of love is where we don't see a difference between ourselves and the deity. The cowherds think he's like us. There's no difference. This is the whole basis of Braj, Sakya. It really begins there. The dasya is tinged with sakya. And from there it goes up in intensity to vatsalya, madhurya, and so forth. Some forms of sakya exceed also the vatsalya in intensity of love and intimacy. Friends means equals. We can be friends with equals. If they're higher than you, then the friendship will be Inhibited to some extent. If they are lower than you, the friendship will be inhibited to some extent. So friendship is for equals. <laughs> so in Braj, yeah, in this sense, I mean, it pervades. It's pervaded by Madhurya, that's another thing. But in this sense, in a basic sense, they think, I'm Brajabasi, Krishna's a Brajabasi. He's not different from us. If he does anything extraordinary, that's because Gargamuni predicted that Narayan would do wonderful things through him. That's how they interpret his words, said in the cowshed at the time of his name-giving, the name-giving ceremony for Krishna Balaram. This boy will 
Narayan will perform many acts, wonderful acts through this boy. This boy and Narayan are equal. Narayan is, this, this boy is not different from Narayan. But the Brajabhasis will say, Narayan is not different from this boy, but this boy is different from Narayan. That's <laughs> very complicated theology. But at any rate, they see him as one of them. So in, in this kind of bhakti, then, there's no worship. Worship requires, there's the object of worship, and there's the worshiper, and there's a perceived difference. In love, this difference is crossed. And there's no difference between the object of my love and me, because I've become the love that corresponds with that object. Bedabed. Love of Krishna and Krishna. They're one and different at the same time. We can talk about them as different, but if we look closely, we also see they're one. There is no meaning to Krishna without love of Krishna. Krishna manifests in accordance with the love of the devotee. Differences, right? We're talking about different kinds of love. And Krishna appears in different ways to different devotees, all relative to or corresponding with their love. So that love of Krishna and Krishna, they're one and different at the same time. Krishna standing next to Radha. Krishna tried to show his form as Narayan before Radha in Gita Govinda, but he couldn't. So what are we seeing when we see Krishna? We're seeing Radha's Krishna. We're seeing Radha's love. That takes that shape. What's what come first, the tree or the seed? Krishna or love of Krishna? Radha Krishna Pranay Vikuti Ladini Shakti Rasmadi Katmanova Srubhdamana Goswami writes, one eternally becomes two, the two eternally become one. That's Chaitanya Dev. Radha and Krishna Pranay. Radha Krishna Pranay. Pranay is the Pradhan of Sakya also. So in this sense also, Pranay means. It means the kind of love, like if you walk down the street, what's your name? Hmm? Johanna. Johanna. So if you walk down the street and someone touches you, what will you do? You touched me. Or if you bump into somebody, say, oh, excuse me, right? Something like that. Because you see a difference between yourself and that person. Now, if someone you love, someone who loves you touches you, then you react differently, right? The child can urinate on the mother while she's nursing him. She takes no exception to that. If an ordinary person urinated on you, (laughs) you might have him thrown in jail. He urinated on me. What's the difference? There's no difference in one sense. One is arising out of love, and that love is an identification that extends my sense of self into the other person. So the cowherbs, they can put their feet on Krishna. The characteristic of their love is that sometimes they serve Krishna, and sometimes Krishna serves them. Equals. 
Sometimes they will massage the feet of Krishna. Sometimes he will massage their feet. So this is a plane in which the love and the object of love, that difference, that on a lower plane is prominent, that bridge is gapped, is closed. There's a union. Because in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we want to become love of Krishna. Love of Krishna has different expressions, as a friend, as a parent, as a lover. We want to become that, to be love of Krishna, a unit of love of Krishna. And that will have a shape to express itself. Just like beauty requires some shape, some form to express itself. The artist has a conception, but until he puts it to canvas with a pen, then who can appreciate it? Who can take advantage of it? So the form facilitates that love. It doesn't inhibit that love. Here, form inhibits us or limits us. But a form arising out of love, out of bhava, that's another thing that will facilitate us. So, to become love, that's the idea. We say you follow in the footsteps of an inhabitant of, of Vrindavan. So to become the embodiment of a particular kind of love, this is then to transcend the idea of object of worship and worship. So there's no worship in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's, of course, we may be at a stage where we still require to see a difference between ourselves and the object of love, but we should engage in that stage with a view to transcend that. We should know what the goal is. That's important. So we want to be one with Krishna in this sense, not in a, not in a static sense like the Advaitins. This is so much more appealing of an idea. To, be, to become one with you means that you and I are on the same page. We love one another. We are of one mind. Two people of one mind. Your desires are mine. My desires become yours. We swap hearts, something like that. So Gaudiya Vaishnavism then, it means beyond laws. So if we were to have a group of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, what will govern them? To the extent that we are actually Gaudiyas, then we will be governed by love and trust. So Prabhupada's idea was this, to govern the group by love and by trust. It's a well-reasoned love and a well-reasoned trust. Therefore, we have a siddhanta, as I said, the obeyed, the non-difference. There are certain parameters, philosophical parameters, in which Gaudiya Vaishnavism fits. And then within those philosophical parameters, it expresses itself unlimitedly. Brudge has a parameter. The Mandala of Mahaprabhu has a parameter of so many kilometers, so many koshas, so many miles, and so forth. Apparently, but we're to think, though, it's unlimited at the same time. In other words, what goes on within those, is within that is unlimited. So we should be one, philosophically, but then within the context of that, there may be so many differences of expression of that philosophy. That beautifies the philosophy. So, here you are a member of another institution, but you came here to hear, hear from, from me because you heard some talks and they were interesting to you. And 
That's how you got involved where you are now anyway, because you heard some talks and they are interested to you. So you're only doing what you know by your own experience has been good for you. You're following your heart, right? That's what we should do. That's the rule. We should follow our heart. No, don't follow your heart. That will just be speculation. You have to follow the rule. We may get a reply like that. There may be some place for that, but it better must maybe be misunderstood as well. We came because of our heart. Prabhupada came. I didn't follow him because he had all these rules. <laughs> we followed him. We were, you know, in those days, very different and from the, um, conducting ourselves very differently than the lifestyle that he expected. But because he charmed us, that's why. Because we loved Prabhupada. And why we loved Prabhupada? Because Prabhupada loved us. We could feel that he loved us. Every single one of us, we could feel, he loves me. More than anyone else has loved me. He loves me. He cares about me. I'll do anything for him. All the rules become just secondary things. Whatever, yeah, I'll do that too. Sure, no problem. And maybe even break them. Out of love for him, for necessity arises. That puts into perspective what, what is the nature of the rules. The rules of bhakti are just ways to position oneself to attract the attention of Krishna. That's all. Like if a young girl knows, oh, this is old days, you know, you would go to the bus stop and if the girl liked you and she found out that through your mother or your brother or your sister that you liked a particular color or that you liked, you know, a certain type of sweet or something like that, she'd show up at the bus stop in a red dress with an apple pie. <laughs> And give it to you. Then, and so, you know, you should wear a red dress. You should carry an apple pie. Is <laughs> the kind of, becomes the rule then? But was the spirit behind that? Is trying to attract that person's attention. We come following our heart, and we also come following what we consider to be well-reasoned hearts. So we're not. Why then, at a certain point, shall we stop using our reasoning and stop exercising our heart? Why? And think, how much will that have to do with Krishna consciousness when exercising the limits of my reasoning? Is this right? Does that make sense? They said this. There are other arguments. I have to think about it. You have to exercise the limit of your reasoning, don't you? And you come to the limit of it, and then you have to exercise your heart because you can't find a problem with the reasoning or even if you can, it still has your heart. One of my disciples, a young lady who's my editor, some of you know her, Vrindaranya, she read Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita in the introduction. He says she came from a very liberal, educated um, background, studying women's studies at the University of California in Santa Cruz, and, you know, really liberal school, intellectual school, and so forth. Very smart girl at 16, and she was in college and studying. So she got the Bhagavad Gita, she read the introduction. Prabhupada said some things in there that weren't real appealing to her liberal um, sensibilities and uh, cultural, social sensibilities with regard to, to women. Prabhupada put it in a particular way. 
But anyway, she just she put the book down, but she couldn't put Krishna consciousness down. She kept coming back to it. So, even if the reasoning, as it appears, through a particular preacher, for example, may not agree with your intelligence, still something beyond your intelligence is, may draw you to that. And you have to exercise your reasoning to think that, in a basic sense, is this the right thing? Is this the best way to spend my time? So you have to fully exercise your, your intellect, excuse me, and you have to fully exercise your heart to get involved. So why should you stop using those things? Why should at a certain point all that stop? Don't listen to your heart. Don't ask that question. You're speculating. That kind of thing. You know, there's a place for doubting and conjecture and uh, questioning. And the is there for giving the answer. For giving the answer and satisfying our intellect and flooding our heart so that the intellect kind of closes down anyway and starts to function in relation to a purified heart. Intellect at a certain point will, will guide us and it will be careful. Just like you may listen to me and you may listen, I don't know if I accept that, I'm not sure about that. Okay, I accept that point. I'm not sure about that point. If I can capture your heart, you stop thinking like that. And everything I say is this, you like it and it feels good, it's nourishing and so forth. So as we advance in bhakti also, we will use our intelligence to understand the scripture and its logic and sort it out and interface it with other ideas and see if it holds its own and, and so on and so forth. But as this is nishta then, nishta is characterized by really using your intellect in the service of the texts and so forth. And from that you get ruchi. And ruchi then, intellect comes to serve the taste. So you have a taste, so you can always come up with a good answer. Because you have a taste that's driving you, and you, you're experiencing it, you know it's right. Characterized more by direct experience, so intellect becomes subordinate. Just like in Golok, the intellect is there. How is it used? Mother Yashoda has to decide what to do. Everyone's gone for the Govardhan Yagya preparations. I have no nurses to hand my son to, who's now suckling my breast, while the milk that has been prepared from special grasses arranged by Nanda to keep our son from going to other houses and stealing milk and yogurt is boiling over on the stove. What shall I do? Shall I attend to the milk and put him down? She has to use her intelligence not to decide whether or not to serve Krishna, but how to serve him best in any given instance. So, we should understand this important point. We should use, this is a, we are demanding of it. You must use your intellect here. And you must follow your heart. If the teacher cannot satisfy your heart, then you have no, there's no rule that says you have to follow. And if he or she satisfies your heart to an extent, then you're eternally grateful. The extent that he or she doesn't, then, we don't think about that. We find another help. It may be the case. It may not always be the case to fulfill the heart. Krishna conscious um, help, guidance, and so forth. So, yeah.
to follow your heart. That's very important. Gurumukha Padma Bhakit Jitete Kuriyaikya. So the words of the Guru, right? Gurumukha Padma Bhakya. The lotus, coming from the lotus mouth. Guru Mukha. And Guru, what is that? Nartam says in another place. Here in this place, Guru Mukha Padma Bhakya Jitete The words of my Guru or my heart. That means those words, they've corresponded with my heart. I feel those. That's not an artificial imposition. I, he or she, the guru, is articulating what I feel must be true. He's saying it better than I could say it. This is the experience. Yes, that's what I feel. I thought that. I kind of. I couldn't say it quite like that, but yes. That's why the guru is said to be our own our own prospect coming before us. It's not an artificial imposition. One must have a guru. Tasmad gurum prapadyeta jignasu uttamam. What does it mean, one must have a guru? Is it law? Uh-oh, I'm not following the law. I better find a guru. Let's see, I'll pick one. This one's pretty good, okay. I'll sign on here. I've got that in place. What next? Oh, it must have a guru means I must... I must, I must put my head here. I, I feel it. My, my prospect is here. Here I can be all that I feel that I could possibly be and more. And I can also feel how I'm inhibiting myself from being that. Both things. I must. This is the feeling. Natural. So, to follow one's heart, this is important. Yes, we have to cleanse the heart, but we know that. Following our heart tells us that also. So in the context of cleansing, we should, does that mean we shouldn't follow that? Our heart led us to the idea that we should cleanse our heart also. And to think also. We need thinking, thinking members. Our teachers are like that. We should become like that. So that tendency in you is something that's very valuable that you have. I have little value, but that the value that that you have for that, if I have that too, so I guess that's good for me, but that tendency, that should be protected, that should be, that's something you should foster. You will become wise like that. You should think, oh, but if you follow your heart, you go there, you might be confused. That's... Give a person a little bit of credit. <laughs> they came, to, they came, they joined the Krishna consciousness ideology. They must be a thinking person to have done that. Well, let's give people a little more credit. And yes, people will make mistakes. That's all. But they're sincere. They should learn from them also. But what if they make a mistake? Well, <laughs> that's how you learn. <laughs> so that's possible. That's that's part. That's a given. You make mistakes anyway. And that may be a bigger mistake. Not to follow your heart. That's how you got involved in the first place. And other people told, try to tell you, don't do that, don't bother. No. Didn't make any sense to your friends, right? But you joined anyway. So, following your heart may not always make sense to everybody. Only those who have a sahridayam, who have a sympathetic heart, 
to yours who are really following also, giving themselves to the idea. Sadhu Sangha, so that's so important. We're, that kind of emphasis is given over and over again. We should try to take advantage of that. Look at Prabhupada. He, <laughs> yeah, he said his father used to invite anybody who even resembled a sadhu to his house. He had a strong tendency like that. Of course, Prabhupada then had to see many people who weren't that saintly, but he considered his, pro- his father saintly nonetheless. Such was his tendency. And of course, Prabhupada ultimately, I guess he believed there must be somebody out there, must be the real thing out there. If there's some misrepresentation, then there can only be misrepresentation if there's something to misrepresent, Right? So in his own home, he saw so many bogus sadhus invited by his father. But the tendency to invite the sadhu, that was a good thing. And Prabhupada imbibed that there must be a real sadhu. So he, eventually he met Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakura. So what else? Yes? Um, I have a question about chanting. Kind of two questions, actually. Is your question in relation to what we were discussing? So let's take that first, because yours is unrelated. Go ahead. When you were living where? In Germany. And the devotees was just smiling, speaking out. He's telling me about you. He's from different Sampradaya. And I had quite a different relationship with Ashtarata Prabhu. I asked him, why are you inviting me? And he just smiled. He said, he's speaking. And I went to him and I asked the uh, Babaji, we are enjoying you under the roof? He said, I And I was even with him a few weeks. He almost wasn't speak, but Everything that he was doing all the day, he was watching He was reading the Prabhupada to Bhagavatam. He was what? He was reading Srimad Bhagavatam to Shiva, Prabhupada Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh-huh. And he was chanting on the day. When I asked him about his Sampradaya, he said that I haven't understood my English was too poor. He said that he's from some different Sampradaya, some Babaji Sampradaya. And once to his guru, he brought. Uh, and he liked to listen to Srimad Bhagavatam and he told him just read, just read the books and if you have opportunity just join the devotees just associate with him and he said you know but they don't like me so much why you want to stay with me because I said I have a problem I to Shiva because they like more his reading and they like more Prabhupada with this relation. And all the day, we were very speaking, but if he was speaking, he was describing me, he was really enjoying what he was reading to, to Shiva. And what is uh, the meaning? Some devotees were saying this, like deviation, even some said that it's uh, not according to. Sampradaya, just to change Sampradaya, to listen from other Sampradaya. What is the meaning? How is it? Because when I was speaking with him, when I was listening, I was really enjoying this, was 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I'd, of course, we don't know what his um, sampradaya is, but in different lineages there are, there are great devotees, and the different lineages posit different conceptions, Vaishnav sampradayas, of, of love of Krishna. If anyone is successful in any one of those sampradayas, there will be good association in a general sense. Then again, to be schooled in your own sampradaya, that you will be better, do better to be schooled by someone in the sampradaya. Then again, on the other side, lessons to be learned in a general sense will be embodied in one who is, in any sampradaya, who has realized the ideal in a general sense. So, we may also find good association in other sampradayas, no doubt. They may not be particularly helpful in terms of Brajbhakti, but there's much included within Brajbhakti that devotees have, who are pursuing Brajbhakti have not realized that may be realized by others and other sampradayas. Do you follow? Swami Devoti was explaining that because of he listening from other sampradaya, he acts from other sampradaya, it is open to his sampradaya. He said what? One devotee uh, comment is that because of he is from different sampradaya and because of he accepts something from different sampradaya, from our sampradaya, because he read it and like that, this is opens to his sampradaya, that he make opens to his sampradaya. Yeah, well, that's certainly not the case. And Prabhupada himself honored the different Vaishnava sampradayas, Bhaktisiddhanta Sosti Thakur took ideas from the Ramanuja Sampradaya and incorporated, incorporated them into his mission and so forth. And, and Ramanuja's, for example, commentary on Bhagavad Gita is extraordinary and every devotee should read it. It's different than the Gaudiya, but it's still a wonderful Vaishnava commentary, much to be learned there. And we find that our own acharyas like Baldi Vijabhushan and Vishnu Chakritakra quote Ramanuja they even quote the Advaitin Madhusudan Saraswati sometimes from an Advaitin Sampradaya. So the idea that because you're in one Sampradaya you cannot hear anything from another Sampradaya, it doesn't hold up to the example set by other Acharyas in our Sampradaya. So these are sectarian ideas and fear-based ideas that are prominent some sects where they where controlling people is more important than than Krishna consciousness. What else? Your question? So I was wondering some another one of your talks you mentioned something about having certain moods while chanting. In particular one of the moods was, you know, when you're in the beginning of chanting to cry out to Krishna like you're a child and you're just like begging for mercy like you're so helpless. First I was just wondering if you could maybe explain a little bit more how to do that and how that's beneficial for us. And also and how to do it. First sometimes I'll try to do that and in the midst of chanting I'll kind of throw in a prayer too or throw in something that invites that feeling like oh, I'm so helpless, please help me. But I don't know if doing that in the midst of the chanting 
breaks up the chanting because you're supposed to be focusing on name, of course. Or the idea is, and what the spirit behind it is, is the chanting is a hard exercise, it's not a technical exercise. That to be to be done this way at this time and uh, sitting in this position and and so forth. The Nam mantra of the uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, is all in the vocative case. So it's all an exclamation, if you will. It's like Oh Krishna, which someone would say out of love or out of in pursuit of love the same time so therefore it, it's operative even in frame as well as in, in the stage of sadhana and so the spirit of the idea of crying out like this is to chant with your heart and so if you're appealing with your heart Krishna I want to I'm helpless and so forth then you have the right attitude that's to be the chantings to be approached with, and which we can also say is to be derived from, from the chanting to an extent. So don't worry about the technical side of it, interrupting the chanting. It's not a, really a technical exercise; it's a hard exercise. Okay, we'll stop there. Go back to Vrindavan.